We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. Like I said before, uh, Jason and Lisa are great friends of the church and uh, uh, they've experienced so much in life, but then through walking through that and, and winning and finding victory and, and different things like that, and they're, they're now leading and helping and transforming lives and they're working in different schools and different uh, industries to do that kind of thing and I've got blogs online and they're just a great resource, specifically in the mental health area but even just in life and I count them as good friends. I think we're blessed to have them here as friends of our church. So can we just give Jason a big hand today? Thanks bro. Good morning. It's so good to see you all here again. Just quick show of hands. Who was here last time Lisa and I were here? A few of you. I realised this morning, um, there's two firsts for me this morning. One is this is the first and maybe the only time I ever get to preach with a moustache, but I can definitely feel a different anointing. It's, it's also the first time I've ever, I've spoken to a few different churches before, and I've never been invited back. Um, so this is a first for that. Although the thing is, last time I spoke with my beautiful wife, Lisa, so I don't know if she was kind of the draw card but you get me this morning. We're actually celebrating our 17th wedding anniversary today. Thank you. And 19 years to the day that we started dating. So just to keep one date, we got married two years exactly after we started dating because I'm a boy and I can't remember too many things. Multitasking is not my thing. I really enjoyed um, communion this morning. We love we love you guys. We love your church. Um, we especially love the Braun family. I, I appreciate that throwback to 1986. Just a little bit about me. I love 80s movies. 1986 was a great year. Flight of the Navigator came out. Top Gun came out, if you're a fan as well. Great, great movie and stand by me. Um, so that's, that's a little bit about me. I'm also I'm a youth worker with um, the Department of Child Protection, working with some of those like the young people that you're going to be gifting presents to, which um, is an incredibly powerful thing for those people, those young people, which is so cool that you guys do that. I love your hearts. I also work in Temple Christian College with my wife, Lisa, as student mentors working with young people. Enough about me. Um, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you... Um, Lord, that you know each and every heart here, Lord, and you know each and every journey here, and your spirit and your love has a grace for every journey here to be transformed and also to transform those around us, and we just ask that you help us to receive that more and more this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So we are going to be talking a little bit about um, my mental health journey, um, but I want to talk a lot about Jesus this morning as well, but if it is a bit heavy, like, um, I guess I'll just just sit in that, or if you're uncomfortable, if you need to kind of walk out or break or whatever, uh, I don't think it'll be too heavy, but I won't be offended if, you know, you maybe just need to duck into your phone or dad's ready to leave already, okay? <laughs> okay, I haven't started yet, but I want to look at Isaiah 53 verse 5. It's a passage that you may know very well, and it's just one very simple line. It's a pro- prophetic declaration about what Christ would do for us, and it says, by his wounds we are healed. Amen? By his wounds we are healed. You know, scars tell stories, don't they? Have you got any good scars? I've got a chickenpox scar on my chest. It's the one that reminds me of when I got chickenpox. I don't think that even exists anymore. I'm not sure. Um, but I've got this cool one on my wrist. And, um, you know, the cool thing about scars is they tell stories, not just how I did it, 
Um, and how I did this one was I was, as a youth kid, a bit of a youth pastor's nightmare. Uh, I kind of took license to do sort of a little bit of whatever I want and get up to some mischief. And so this scar reminds me of the Easter camp when um, I went away with a whole bunch of my mates and we decided during free time that we would just kind of make our way up this mountain that was completely out of bounds. Um, but we climbed up this mountain, which was great, except, you know, when things are too steep, you can't walk down them, you've got to slide down them. Well, we were sliding down this mountain because it's the only way to get back down. And all over this mountain was this really, really squared off, really sharp rocks. And I, at quite fast speed, kind of just knocked my wrist on that and sliced it quite convincingly open. Um, and so that's how I did this scar. But, you know, it doesn't, this scar doesn't just remind me that, that weekend and my mischief, but it reminds me of the things God actually did in my life on that Easter camp. It was a Baptist Easter camp. It reminds me of the great friends I was around. You know, this scar tells a story of a time. And like Darren was saying, you know, when, when we look back and we remember everything around um, certain incidences and times. You know, there's this interesting story, and I've always found it really interesting. In John 20... After Jesus has been raised from the dead, we see this guy called Thomas. You might know the story. And Thomas wasn't with the disciples when um, Jesus first appeared to them. And so he says, you know, unless I see for myself, which is fair enough if someone said your mate's been raised from the dead, but unless I see the scars in his wrist and the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe. And the Bible tells us that eight days later, Jesus appears to him. And he comes to him and he, he meets Thomas in his place of doubt and he says, come and see, see the scars. Put your hand in my side. Feel the scars. And I, I don't know about you, but I find that really interesting that Jesus' resurrected Victoria's body was still marked. If you can imagine, like, in that healing, when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in the tomb and raised him from the dead on Easter Sunday, as part of that miracle, I mean, God would have had to, like, miraculously infuse a whole bunch of blood back into Jesus's body. Uh, he had a spear put through his side and, and doctors would tell you that the water and the blood that came out was because it pierced his heart and so part of that healing miracle to raise Jesus would have been probably to give him a, a brand new heart or to heal his heart. But isn't it bizarre that he could have given him brand new skin with no scars. Jesus's victorious resurrected body could be scarless but for some reason the scars remained. And you know those scars tell a story, don't they? They tell a story not just of the nails that went through Jesus' wrists and his feet and the spear that went through his side, but they tell the story of actually everything else it took to get Jesus there. They tell a story of his best friend betraying him and handing him over to be crucified. Those scars tell the story of, of Jesus' friends when he needed him the most, turning their backs on him. They tell a story of a false trial with false accusations and slander and gossip and lies that actually got him to that cross. Those scars tell a story of God's people rejecting God himself. Those scars tell a story of my sin that was put on him and your sin that was put on him and every sin that's actually been committed against you and against me in the history of the world, those scars tell that story. You know, in John 16, we identify, elsewhere in Isaiah identifies Jesus as a man of 
sorrows. You know, in John 16, Jesus says this, he says, and it's a, not a great memory verse, it says, in this life you will have trouble. You know, that's up there with a bumper sticker verse like uh, Job, I think it's 2.9, um, Job's wife says, curse God and die. You know, that's, that's not a great fridge magnet bumper sticker, we're probably not memorising those, you know, in this life you will have trouble. What a great promise from God. You know, and I've found um, as you, you talk with people in their journey of faith is that pain and suffering and injustice is it's probably the biggest thing of the reason why people reject God, distance themselves from God, struggle to even believe that God exists. But Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble, but that's not the end of the verse. He says, take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, on that Saturday, those scars in Jesus' hands and feet told the story of what it looked like, everything that had broken him, defeated him, put an end to the plan and the promise of God for his life. But who knows, on Easter Sunday, when the Spirit of God came upon Jesus and raised him from the dead, and when he stood before Thomas showing him those scars, he wasn't showing him the scars of what had defeated him or what had overcome him, but he was showing him the scars of everything that Jesus in his resurrection had now overcome. Jesus had overcome the false allegations. He had overcome the nails. He had overcome the rejection. He had overcome. Isn't that a good news? He was not marked. The marks didn't show what had defeated him, but what he had overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's this crazy verse in Romans 8, where the Apostle Paul says to us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, is in me. And my question as I kind of go into my journey, I'm going to talk about what's marked my life and what for a period of time felt like, looked like, marked for defeat, looked like, felt like the end of the road. But I stand here as someone who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has overcome. Isn't that good? N.T. Wright tells us that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and the same Spirit that's actually going to renew the entire cosmos, and I'd add the same Spirit that hovered over creation at the beginning and brought creation to life lives and hovers over our hearts. And so just as you come here, what have you been marked by? And not only that, but the world around you, what has that been marked by? Because I'm just convinced from from my journey in God's Word that there is a victory that can be ministered through God's people. I want to share my journey because this isn't just an idea for me. This has been uh, the promise and the reality of our journey. So for Lisa and I, Lisa, my beautiful wife, comes from an awesome family, the great um, pastor's kid, but she, and she shared this last time, and I'll touch on this briefly, but she was marked with um, just anxiety, and has been marked her whole life with anxiety. Her dad's been marked with anxiety, and has tried every form of deliverance, every form of counselling, everything, and at least thrives still with her anxiety, but, you know, we've gone through every loop to kind of live the best life possible with that and always still believing for a miracle but Lisa's been marked with anxiety and so 13 years ago when we were expecting the birth of our first son 
Samuel. Um, it was all coming along very well. We were very prepared for it. Um, we were prepared for everything. Prenatal course, we were prepared for everything. But what they didn't prepare us for was what actually happened. Um, and so as Lise was in labor, my mother and I, and Lise still resents me for this, were just kicking back, eating hash browns and having a chat and having a good time. Uh, and while she was in labor, everything seemed to be going well until all of a sudden the the lights were blinking, the, the sirens were beeping, the things were going on, and we went from a calm place to all of a sudden doctors rushing in. Um, I was thrown into a gown and, and we were whisked away to uh, an emergency caesarean for, for Sam because his heart had dropped and they were concerned that he was stuck and, it, and something had to happen immediately, which was great, except for Lisa at that time with her predisposition to anxiety. Her, that kind of put her through part beyond her probably limit and her brain kind of frazzled, popped and checked out, if that's probably not the best way to put it, but um, it, 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 she's never been the same since, to be honest, um, but she's still incredible. Um, but it, it affected her seriously and we weren't prepared for that. That made a thing very challenging. We were in and out of hospitals with Lisa. Um, massive anxiety, panic attacks, not feeling like herself, and, um, and she talks a lot about that in her blog. So that was the first kind of like, well, what happened? We had to move in with her parents, um, who were fantastic, but they had to kind of look after us and look after Sam. Um, but that was kind of the, the first step in a bit of a Job-like experience for me, if you're familiar with Job's story, um, kind of everything just kind of all goes bad at once. And, and so for me at that time, <clears throat> so I've got a sick wife um, when I was expecting just this great new beginning, and living with my in-laws, which is great, but still weird and uncomfortable and out of place. But in the same kind of span of time, I lost two friends. They passed away. My parents separated. And um, my whole world kind of just spun out of control. And so like with Lisa, there's only a certain amount of kind of stress and heartache and confusion that our systems can take. Lisa went to anxiety. I went to depression. And I knew that I was in trouble. So we, we kind of journey for a bit and then we kind of things felt like they settled down a bit but I was knew I was in trouble and it was about three or four months down the track and we'd moved back into our own house with our kid and just trying to play happy families but I wasn't the same uh, I'm a bit of a teddy bear but man I was angry I found this anger coming in me that I'd never have before like bizarre irrational anger so I've never been in a fight in my life but I found myself at, at shopping centre just hoping someone would cut me off because I was like, that can be an excuse. Oh, I'm going to get out and I'm going to belt this guy. Like, whoever he is, I hope someone cuts me off because I just want an excuse to just rage and beat someone up. I remember sitting in the cinema thinking, I hope one of these guys behind me flicks my hat off because I'm just going to get up and pummel them. And they weren't doing anything, but I just had this bizarre rage that I've never had in my life in me. Then there was these times where I was extremely numb, couldn't feel anything, couldn't feel any emotion, couldn't feel any hope, couldn't um, enjoy what I'd normally enjoy. And so realized at that point that something wasn't right. Um, I also became extremely suicidal. So when I, I'd lost um, my ability to enjoy things, my ability to enjoy life, it kind of put me in this place of and what seemed all of a sudden very rational, which was never been rational and would never be rational since, but it's like, why am I even here? And the scary thing is, is how normal and natural that seems in that place. Because I know that if you're going along life, well, we all have our ups and downs. Like Jesus said, in this life, there will be trouble. We all have sad days and happy days and things don't turn out. And that's normal. 
And we can sometimes think, how could someone get to that place where they just don't even want to be here? Some of you may know that pain, probably do know that pain. For some of you, it doesn't make any sense. It didn't make sense to me until I actually lived it. And it seems in that place, in that headspace, the most rational thing. Um, Probably a a turning point for Lise was um, one time she found found me late at night in, in our kitchen. And I got a big knife... And all I knew was I just woke up in the middle of the night, like you would craving sneaky late night snack or a glass of water or whatever. It made perfect sense to cut myself for some bizarre reason. I craved it. I wasn't trying to get attention. I wasn't trying to, um, you know, make a big deal. It, but I, and she stopped me before I did anything. I wasn't trying to, you know, I was, it just, it, bizarrely felt like it made sense. In that time, before that, we had been part of a ministry. We loved it. Our dream was to run a church. Our dream was to be in ministry together, and that's what we were doing and heading towards. But when I got to that point, I remember really struggling to be involved in church, really struggling to go along. had been from someone who kind of loved reading the Bible every day, loved God. I just couldn't connect with that. And so at that point... My dreams had died. My dreams were finished. I kind of just accepted. I don't think I'm ever going to lead worship, preach, um, be a youth leader, small group leader ever again. I kind of actually conceded that and I thought, oh, I think it's just the end of that part of my life. Uh, and that was all done. Lisa would tell you that she thought I'd never step foot inside a church again. And I wasn't angry with church or with God. Not only that, as you can imagine, um, this took a toll on our marriage a big toll on our marriage and it was a hard, hard season and we really got to the end of our rope and did not see a way, as you imagine, two people in pain, how we could possibly continue as much as we tried. There was, there was no grievous, massive sin. We didn't murder anyone or anything like that. We didn't rob any banks but, but just the, the sin, the pain, all that sort of stuff and uh, a highlight or low light as you'd like to maybe, however you'd like to imagine of that point in time. Uh, I remember we going to a marriage counsellor because we were pretty bad um, and she kind of, we had a bit of a, one session with her and she was like, right, well, if you, you guys make it through this, you'll have a, oh, you have a great testimony. Um, I'm actually quitting now. I'm actually not going to be a counsellor anymore, so I'm not going to see you again. So, I mean, you know you're in bad shape when someone decides, I reckon I'm going to throw, <laughs> I reckon I'm going to do something else with my life. I think I've seen enough of this pain now. That was a hopeless place. And I remember at that point, the hope, here's the hope that I had. And, and, you know, there's not a big faith, it wasn't a great victorious declaration, but I remember just saying to God, God, if you can raise the dead, you can turn this around. If you're a God who can raise the dead, our marriage is dead. My dreams are dead. Literally, my actual only hope is a God who can bring the dead to life. Because I actually have nothing left. We tried and tried and tried everything we could to, to you know, can connect, get along, like, move in a healthy direction. We had a new, you know, young child. Um, 
we tried, but man, it just blew up and messy and painful when we couldn't get there. But I remember that was my hope in the resurrection. And you know, it wasn't a zap from heaven. It wasn't a, in that moment, bang, done. I prayed that prayer and we were back together. But I believe from that point, as I held on to that hope that our God is a God who raises the dead, that he uh, began a process of healing and transformation as we had that hope. And I want to speak to you right now of, I don't know what you're facing, but our God raises the dead. I don't know what you've been marked by of discouragement or the words you've been spoken over to or job loss or a hopeless situation or a marriage struggle or family struggle, health struggle. We have a God who raises the dead and who can bring life back into death situations. And so I want to share this process because I think it's a scriptural process that I've seen um, that worked for us. You know, we have this kind of comment that we'd like to say that time heals all things. And sometimes it does, but sometimes time isn't enough. Sometimes all time does is ingrain the habits and ingrain the pain and and make things deeper. But God's process, and I'll show you a couple of scriptures to look look up in your own time, is grace plus truth plus time. Jesus came with grace and truth. And the process of grace plus truth plus time, and I'll explain how that worked in my situation, um, I believe is God's formula. Yes, God does miracles of grace and truth, but, but uh, like hitting in one moment and healing someone, and, and we've seen that even in the area of mental health with some people, but grace plus truth plus time has proven true in so many situations we have seen. So Ephesians 4, Paul talks about this idea talks about the idea of when Jesus rose, he gave gifts to men, and he talks about the church, and he says he gave prophets and teachers and all the gifts, and the idea of the gifts is to enable every single person in the church to be active, that you've got a gift. Every single one of you has that resurrection power and a gift that goes with that. And then what Paul says is, speaking the truth in love, there's truth and grace, we grow up into him as every part does its work. And he talks about this beautiful picture of the church that as we walk in grace and truth and we all use our gifts and we're in a community around people, that we grow up. And it doesn't even have to be just a, from a devastating situation. I believe that's God's kind of mission and work and how he works in and through his church, in our discipleship, in our dream, in all sorts of ways, grace and truth and time. We see it in James, when James says, you know, confess your sins, there's truth, And pray for one another, that's grace, that you would be made whole. Jesus came with grace and truth. And so for my journey of depression, let me tell you you how grace and truth worked out. Because here's the reality, like we believe in the medical and believe in professionals, but we also believe so much in the power of the church. We believe so much that you and I have a role to play in this, sadly, this epidemic of mental health. So grace, what did grace look like in my resurrection journey from mental health? I had two mates called Ben and Dion. Ben is a, ben is a graphic designer and a photographer, and he um, kind of loves God. <laughs> he's, he's not a f- super passionate 
believer. He's a, a great guy who is, I think, genuine and, and does have a great faith. And then there's Dion, who's just a, who's a chippy, and a great, he's got a great gift of encouragement. And so Ben and Dion were a place of grace for me. Ben and Dion just walked for all those years. They listened to everything. They loved me no matter what. They did go to my church, but they, it didn't bother them whether I was at church or not. They just walked with me. They weren't stressed out or flustered by how I deteriorated and going from like leading worship to kind of struggling to be there. They were just present and they were grace to me. Not only that, as I had to, grace was understanding that God's love for me didn't change. And I actually had to put that to the test because before I was active, right? You know, we, we, we don't work to get God's love, but sometimes in the busyness of life and church, somehow we, maybe something switches and we start to think, oh, I'm not active or going to church enough. Maybe I don't, if I miss this one or if I don't read my Bible today, maybe God's not quite as happy with me. And I had to actually then learn to rest in the fact that God's love actually didn't change based on any of those things. His grace was so consistent. And so I had to rest in that grace of God. It also, part of my healing process in grace was actually re- returning to the gospel and reminding of the truth about God's grace and that who God actually is, the sort of loving Father God is. And I got into those sorts of teaching, just listening to audiobooks and stuff like that. I struggled to be in church. I struggled to read, but just listening to someone else remind me and talk to me and tell me about how good the gospel is and how good the tr- His love is. The truth part was this. The truth part was me being honest with my mates about how I was going. The truth part was me being honest with Lisa about how I was going. The truth part included a doctor's diagnosis of like, you're not going crazy, you're not demon-possessed, you're, you're depressed. You've got depression, people have been here. Part of the truth was him explaining to me, do you know what will help you a little bit is exercise. Part of the truth was him saying, you know what, you've just got to sleep a bit better, if you can get your sleep a bit better, exercise a bit, eat a bit better. That was part of the truth of my recovery and healing journey. Part of the truth for my situation um, did include medication. And for some people, that's a, especially within the church, maybe that makes you feel a bit uncomfortable. Um, And I get it. I remember as a young believer when um, a guy was giving praise to God that his doctor gave him the right medication, I thought, shouldn't we be praising God only if he touches you and miraculously heals you? Like, not God's medication, but that was an important part for my journey. It put a, a bit of a buffer on the lowest of the low part and gave me some time to let God's grace and truth heal me through these other means. More parts of that truth included, yeah, me sharing truth with my friends and my friends sharing truthfully with me. And my prayer time with God was just honest. Help. <laughs> this sucks. I don't know if you're here, but just help. And then it just took time. So my journey from, from when Sam was born, everything happened, and me struggling and suffering, and I, I, I think in my testimony I shared, like, um, for a good two years, like, suicidal thoughts were just as bad as natural as breathing. But those, that process of grace and truth, over those two years, I became free. God healed, and I moved forward. Yeah, you can clap for that if you like. That's cool. Thank you. <laughs> Praise God. And I can look back and I can see how in our marriage, it was grace and truth 
that took your time to heal. Lisa's, Lisa's one of the most loving people I've ever met, you'll ever meet. She's a very truth person. She's very strong on truth, which is excellent. And I need a little bit more grace because I'm very good at making mistakes. And I'm probably an overly gracious person and can become a doormat pretty easily type person. And I need a little bit more truth. I needed to, to say what wasn't helpful for me. But grace and truth in our marriage and time has built it and restored it. And do you know what? I thought, when I asked God, if you, can say, if you can raise the dead, you can restore our marriage. My thought was, man, it would be a miracle if we can just get along. Like, if we can just get along. I'd, I'd accept it. Do you know what? I'm, I don't think we're ever going to be madly in love. I don't think we're ever going to be, like, you know, excited about being married. I don't, I don't know if we're, we're just going to grind it out and we're going to just make it to the end for the sake of our kids. But, man, we are more in love than ever. Impossible. If, you, if you, you came wanting to see a miracle today, the fact that we're here and we're happy, we're sitting together and she's not in the car park waiting to leave, is as much of a resurrection miracle as, as I've experienced in my life so far. Praise God. So we, we work these principles in our job at school. How much longer do you want me to go for? You know, don't mind. Okay. So how this works in our school, because this is how you can um, minister... As well, with whatever, here's the thing, whatever situation, I want to give you something simple, like, like, like the resurrection power of Jesus is real, and I want you to have handles on this truth that you can connect with and do something, grace and truth. So, we do believe in the, the Big Bang, I remember like in terms of the like healing stuff, like I remember I shared it at, at a school one time, and a young guy, his friends actually came to me really worried about their friend who was suicidal, and, and really struggling with depression, and we, and that was the truth in that moment and we gathered around him laid hands on him and we prayed for that depression to leave him and go and it did miraculously in the moment grace and truth hit him in a moment and he was healed but he's one literally one in 200 experience um the rest of it like one thing that we do as far as with friends or people and and um i won't share a name i don't know this will get out but you guys wouldn't know this person but this is just an example of even just this week what has happened, which is a very common thing. A, a young person comes, really struggling. A friend lets us know, hey, a young person, this young person's really struggling. Um, they're suicidal. I don't know what to do for my friend. Okay. Bring him in. And we get the young person and, and we start with truth. What's, you know, what's going on? Tell, tell, tell me what's going on. And Grace, hey, you're safe here. And sometimes if that's, he's, he's a bit of our journey. We know this journey. We've been there. Um, that's grace and truth. And, and so for this young person, she, she shared the story that um, she's year nine now, but as a year four, she was bullied by year seven students who picked on what she looked like, picked on, um, you know, who she was and told her she should kill herself. That was five years ago. Time doesn't heal all things. That, those voices of you're not good enough and you should kill yourself became her internal dialogue for this young girl. And so she came to me and said, this is what was said. Truth. 
what we then did is we organised for a bunch of us, asked, who, who are your safe friends? Who's safe? Who, do you, who cares for you? Let's get them in. And so we, we get them in and we get them to share a counter to that lie of you're ugly and you should kill yourself to you're a great friend. I love you being in my life. And we gather and we lay hands and we, we pray that God's grace would touch her with our love. But as she, and encourage them to walk this journey of, of putting real truth back in with her. I share scriptures, I have a printout of scriptures of, of what God actually says about people. Not your identity in Christ and, and I let her know you have been lied to. You're not disgusting and you should not kill yourself. You're a child of God. You're loved by God. You're sold the earth. You're light of the world. You're, um, you know, all, all the truths what God says about the identity. And, and we work that process over time. Also encourage you, you, you need to tell your mum. Your mum loves you. And if you need some extra counsel, she's a place to go. But even that process of her, because she told her mum that she was bullied, didn't tell her mum what the bullies were actually saying to her. And so when she can actually bring that truth into the light and mum can love her, and give those counter, what the, the real truth of what, made. this is the process we've seen over and over and over again work. And you can do that. We've got Sarah here, who's awesome. He's got an incredible gift and incredible singing gift and, and counsellor and just a great, beautiful person. And, you know, she is trained and, and could probably do far more than what Lisa and I can do in this area. And so that's great. And that's a great resource for you guys as a, as a church. But you have a grace on you. Sometimes your testimony is the truth that someone needs to hear to overcome. Sometimes it's just you, you know, um, if you've been hurt by church leadership, having great loving pastors who act contrary to maybe who hurts you can be part of that healing process. And we just affirm these guys so much. We have so much trust in you guys and, and just, it shouldn't be rare and it's not there's a lot of majority of fantastic churches, um, but to have pastors who walk with Jesus in love, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, not just a Sunday we put on the hat and we take it off the rest of the week. And these guys live that and we just love that and I'm sure you guys live that too. But that's really important for healing and restoring people over time. You can do that. I can do that. So what has marked your life? What are you marked by right now? Can I encourage you that grace and truth and time, the resurrection power of Jesus, who restored our marriage, our health, our ministry, I never dreamed I'd be able to share, you know, or I would even care about sharing in a church ever again. But we're here today because God's resurrection power is real for your life and my life. Can I pray for you guys? Is that a good thing to do? Yeah. You've got grace and truth to offer the world. And you've got a church that needs your grace and your truth as well. Father God, we just thank you for your resurrection power. Holy Spirit, right now we know that we are facing and have been marked by many things. Some of them are words spoken, lies, pain experienced. 
mistakes that we've made, sins that we've done, and sin that's been done against us. But Lord, we know that every single one of those things marks your body and you raise victorious over it. And so right now, we just offer to you our marks. We say, Jesus, put your resurrection power on them right now. Use them, heal them, and redeem them for your good, for your glory, and the joy of your people. Amen. Amen.